From PRX, the public radio exchange, and the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. show, we roll up our sleeves as our guest, author, professor, and biblical scholar Jennifer Grace Bird invites us to take the Bible into our own hands as we discuss her new book from Westminster John Knox Press, Permission Granted. She'll talk about her own journey across the theological spectrum and discuss the challenges that await us when we read the good book for ourselves. Stay tuned. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Jennifer Grace Bird. She's the author of the new book, Permission Granted, Take the Bible Into Your Own Hands, published this month by Westminster John Knox Press. Jennifer Grace Bird is a professor, a writer, and a speaker, and she's based in Portland, Oregon. She earned her Ph.D. in biblical studies from Vanderbilt University, and she teaches in classrooms and churches across the nation, from the Deep South to the Pacific Northwest. Lately, she's been particularly wanting to have conversations in churches and classrooms around the topic of same-sex marriage, and she'll actually be speaking at a conference this weekend on that topic. Jennifer Grace Bird, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, throughout this book, which I very much enjoyed reading, you, you have a refrain that you come back to again and again. And it the refrain is, take the Bible into your own hands. Every chapter has a section that sort of has a heading that says that. So I want to start with just the sort of question, what do you mean when you say, take the Bible into your own hands? That's obviously a good question, given it's part of the title as well. And many people, I certainly understand, actually are uncomfortable by this idea because they've been taught it's something that you need to be careful with and not just read on your own. And Obviously, that's a part of the conversation in general for people. Um, your reading is yours, mine is mine, that kind of thing. But what I'm intending by it is more along the lines of what I end up doing with students in classrooms specifically, which is telling people that it's okay for them to engage what they see in the Bible and think about it for themselves. So many people have been taught what they should think or have been taught, as some of the chapters indicate, maybe an edited version or just highlights of of a story, and they haven't been given the full story in order to think through the whole thing for themselves. So... So many times in classrooms, I've watched people, I've literally just watched the relief kind of wash over them when I say, no, really, you can think about this for yourself, and I want to know what you think. I don't, I'm not here to tell you what to think. So that's, that's the intention of that part of the title. Well, for, for our listeners, could you take a moment and sort of describe the project? Uh, when they get the book, what will they encounter? What, what, will, what will it allow them to do? Well, and as I've kind of hinted at already, the the content of the book comes from teaching several dozen uh, intro sections to both Testaments of the Bible. And so w- this, these conversations keep happening that, oh, I wish I'd known this sooner, or why haven't I heard this sooner? Why, haven't, why hasn't someone taught me this particular part of the story or b- backdrop to the story? And so the intent of the book in general is to... It, kind of walk people through some of the what end up being the juiciest or the most interesting topics that people do tend to want to talk about when they look at the Bible or that they will turn to the Bible to see what it says on a particular topic. So there are 12 chapters, and there's a brief intro to tell you a little bit about myself and about where I have come in this whole process, this whole journey in terms of reading the Bible myself and how going to seminary and through Ph.D. work and different stages of being involved in the Church, how those parts of my story have informed where I've come to and my own thoughts about the Bible. And and in some, some level, some way, part of my hope with the book is to help someone have at least parts of that same kind of 
education or information that I gained through that process without having to actually go to the classes themselves (laughs) on a kind of basic level. So trying to bring some of those classroom experiences and insights and conversations to um, a person sitting in the pews or on the couch with their friends. A lot of what I'm doing in the book is trying to have a conversation, really, with the reader. I'm not interested in telling you what you should think, but I am interested in in a sense, highlighting, bringing the conversation to a person, highlighting some elements of what is in the story, or encouraging people to think about certain elements of stories before they then go read it themselves. And that's an actually important part, which I've had someone suggest is perhaps a downfall of the book, and that is that I really do intend for people to actually go read <laughs> what's in the Bible. Um, you can't just read the book because it, the book isn't intended to be the end all. It's, it's intended to help you think differently, perhaps, or maybe open your mind or your eyes to certain things that are in the Bible. So, yeah, you do actually need to read alongside of this book. If you're just joining us, we're speaking today with Jennifer Grace Bird. She's the author of the new book from Westminster John Knox Press, Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands. I'm David Dalt. This is Things Not Seen. So what I hear you saying is that you're you're drawing from classroom experiences, but you're not wanting to make a book that is stuffy and academic, but rather a book that's conversational, and that you're really hoping that your readers in the process of this conversation with your book are sort of pulled to actually encounter or re-encounter the texts of Scripture uh, and engage with them as well. Have I heard that correctly? That is absolutely what I'm hoping for, yes. Has it been your experience as a teacher that people don't read the Bible? What has been your experience as you've been out there in the world watching your students? That's that's an interesting question. Because I'm now teaching in the Northwest, generalized sense of being a little less religious, although it's amazing, people would probably be surprised (laughs) at what I encounter in the classroom. But to that end. But ultimately, actually, what I think happens is there are a handful of students that are already reading the Bible and doing their daily devotions or things like that. And the way I'm encouraging them to think about it really pushes them as they read. And then there's there's another segment, and this is true no matter what part of the country I've been to, you know, I'm encountering people who don't read the Bible at all. But once they hear, once they start to hear these conversations or to start hearing the things I'm, the questions I'm posing to them about what's in the Bible, they actually want to go read. It's like they've, they thought, well, I've always heard it says X, Y, and Z, but now I want to go see for myself. And now that I've read it, oh my goodness, I had no idea. It kind of is the, fills the gamut, if you will, um, of, of people who are or are not already reading the Bible, if that makes sense. It does, and this this piques my curiosity. As you've been out on the road uh, encountering people like this, or as you've been teaching in the classrooms, uh, I'd love to know what are some of the the better misconceptions or or misreadings you've encountered uh, from from people that you've talked to. Like, what do they think is in the Bible that isn't there, or what have they misread that that is there? Oh, that is, you know, in a sense, I could just almost go down the chapters one by one to answer that question, honestly. The because and that's why I chose what's in the in the book actually. So, I mean, even from something so basic and yet so such a pervasive part of our culture, the story of the Garden of Eden, what happens in the formation of you know the first two humans in the second chapter of Genesis, and then what actually goes down in Genesis chapter three in the garden, the way people think that that story unfolds is quite different than what the story itself says. And people are often quite surprised to learn that things that they think the story says is really what is being read into the story. And none of us can avoid doing that on some level. We all bring our own uh, life experiences and thoughts and theological ideas and all kinds of things to a story. But when you stop and just read through the story itself, you know, the serpent doesn't actually deceive anybody, and the woman is actually kind of just a curious person, and that's not a bad thing, and so many different pieces of it. And then I highlight for people that the early church fathers read into this story that, that it was about sex, and 
we talk about how they could have seen it that way and, and why. That's why people read sex into this story. It isn't necessarily about that. And this is a just go look in the grocery store and the number of things that have to do with apples and you know some form of sexual innuendo or look in our media or all kinds of things. So I could keep going. I mean, there are stories when you... Lots of people have a sense of who Samson is, Samson and Delilah, and what's the meaning of this story, or what do you think of when you hear Samson and Delilah? And people often go to things where they'll say, Samson was really strong, use the gift God gave you is the meaning of the story, or don't be, stay away from wanton women. It's interesting how women and sex end up being kind of intertwined in all these stories, whether or not that's really there. (laughs) This is an element that I like to talk about as well. But David and Goliath, what is that story really about? Or what what are any of the stories about David really about? Um, Do you know about the story of David and Bathsheba? And what part of that story have you been told? And was it her fault? Was she enticing him? And I really like to talk to people about that. Why would you think that she's trying to entice him and that doesn't really seem to you it's happening in the story and why have we been told that that is happening and what does that tell you? And um, On and on and on. Even kind of even backing up a little bit, just the fact that there are two different creation stories in the Bible is something that rocks people's world sometimes. Um, and the... One of the the first element, the first chapter in the book, as I know you know, but for your for your listeners, the first chapter of the the book talks about what what is it that the Bible is and is not. What is it we've been taught? Perhaps many of us have been taught to expect to find when we read the Bible versus perhaps what we should be expecting. And I, at least for a good portion of my young adult life, thought that everything in the Bible happened as is told. And that this creation story is is really what happened. It's really how it went down. And then I had someone in seminary show me that there are actually two creation stories, which means they didn't both actually happen, but these are two stories trying to talk about the same event and trying to say different things about this reality that we exist. And so... Talking about two creation stories is a way of highlighting that this Bible, this book, as sacred and precious as it has been to me and to others, is perhaps not what I had thought. And I think on some basic level, that is really what this whole book is about, is showing people like me who grew up reading it regularly or having regular devotions or however you want to look at that, and perceiving it a particular way. Every word is as God intended, you know, from beginning to end. This book is kind of helping people work through lots of different elements of what is in the Bible in a way that says, okay, we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but let's take a more informed view on what is in the Bible. Um, that's, honestly, that is the most challenging part. That was the most challenging part for me. And it is the most challenging part, I think, for most people to change the way they to have that shift in uh, perceiving the Bible one particular way and then to open up themselves to something a little bit more complicated and more nuanced and I think a bit more mature way of looking at and understanding what the Bible is. If you're just joining us, we're speaking today with Jennifer Grace Bird, author of Permission Granted, Taking the Bible into Your Own Hands, published recently by Westminster John Knox Press. This is Things Not Seen, conversations about culture and faith. We'll be back in a moment. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Jennifer Grace Bird. She's the author of Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands. Well, there in your answer just a moment ago, you you mentioned a, a phrase that I want to make sure our listeners know, and it's this phrase, the early church fathers. Could you tell us briefly who they were? Sure. I, I did open a can there, didn't I, David? The early church fathers that I'm referencing would be the first to second, third generation after the disciples and the folk, the people who wrote the things, the the text, the letters, the gospels, the things that ended up in the New Testament with the men, but the guys who came after that. So beginning in the early second century and in the next couple centuries are the people that we refer to as the early church fathers. 
Well, a moment ago, you started to talk about your own personal journey, and I'd like to take a couple minutes for our listeners and sort of talk about where you started and how you would describe a sort of starting point of that faith journey and where you find yourself now and what some of the things that you've learned along the way have been. The introduction to the book, I do try to give a brief sketch of essentially that answer. In the book, I'm focusing mostly on my specific relationship to the Bible and the elements of my story that relate to that. And I think in a even to answer your question now, I think that's perhaps the most relevant pieces to, to say, but I did. I grew up in a family that went to church regularly. I grew up in a family that was, um, we attended a United Methodist Church in Virginia, southwest Virginia, and uh, that was, in a sense, our social life. The people there were our friends and our, you know, our extended community, our extended family, and that was an important part of my upbringing and formation was that church family. And I had um, what I refer to very fondly, honestly, I had a bit of a swing to the right, if you will, but it was a, um, you know, my family wasn't um, evangelical or charismatic, really, in the faith, right, that they have. But I was drawn to that element of the Christian community. And so I was involved in a much more conservative evangelical group for about six or seven years in high school and college. What was the attraction that took you in that sort of rightward tilt? It's a great question, David. (laughs) And I am not entirely sure. (laughs) I do think there was an element of, there were some more specific definitive answers and ideas that were being offered, if that makes sense. And I think perhaps developmentally, as a teenager, late te- mid to late teens, I think there is something comforting or something helpful in someone saying, this is, this is the deal. Here's the story. You're a sinner. Christ died for you. Accept it and be a part of this wonderful thing, right? There was also a lot of energy and enthusiasm and fun and playfulness involved in this group that I was involved in as well. And so I think... The two put together just kind of fit nicely with who I am, who I was, but who I still am. Um, But I do think it's the answers, to be honest. Um, The Methodist church I was a part of was much more of a kind of a social justice-oriented, that was the message, the message was about on the level of interacting with each other, not the level of talking about the sinfulness of humans and your connection to God and how that works. So I think that piece of talking about definitive yeses and nos and here's what you do, that was just kind of appealing, I think. And I think that is for a lot of people. Did this rightward tilt uh, that you underwent, which you said was because there were some clear answers and some good personalities, did that cause any kind of friction with your family or with your home (laughs) church? It did. And, you know, I love my family so much for just kind of rolling with me. And and I say that as if there's something really bad about it. But I had some very strong convictions based on how I read the Bible at that point in time. And in particular, I guess perhaps I do reference this in the book, and that's how you knew to highlight it, which I appreciate very much, actually. I was in college when my mother was ordained as a minister in the Methodist Church. And on the very day of her ordination, really, even though I, as a young woman thought it was absolutely wrong because of how I read, what is it, First Timothy 2.18, First Timothy 2.8, whatever it is, um, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, right? I had that verse in the back of my head that day, and I thought this whole thing was wrong, and yet even I was just moved by how powerful that ceremony was, the laying on of hands and the conferring of saying, yes, this woman is called, all that very moving ordination ceremony. And At the end of the day, it was me and my mother in the car, five-hour drive home. She's just had this amazing experience. She's worked very hard. The Methodist Church puts you through the ringer, which I think is good, to be ordained. And I literally begin the conversation, five hours in the car. I begin by saying, Mom, how could you do this when it's against God's will for women to be ordained? (laughs) I mean, the audacity of that 20-year-old, right? And... To my mother's credit, she, I mean, I don't know how she swallowed that in in this moment of joy and 
excitement, but she just looked at me, and she did not push me out of that moving car. <laughs> she told me her story, and it was really powerful because you can't, you can't argue with someone's story. And I wanted to. I wanted to be able to say, but, but this, but that, but I just listened. And it took her an hour or so to tell me the story that I didn't know. I didn't know her side of things. And that really became something that I just had to hold on to. I couldn't deny it. I didn't know what to do with it. But that, that was the biggest contention or moment with me and my family. And there were other moments after that. I changed the way I dressed, which caused some concerns for some of my family members. Like, why are you, you know, wearing such baggy clothes all of a sudden? Well, I thought I needed to for certain reasons, given the way, again, I read scripture and the way I thought about how my body potentially was causing my boyfriend to stumble, things like that. But really, the the element where that my time, the the way that my interactions with my family were most significantly affected were around this bit of women and how I grew up in a church that ordained women, (laughs) and I had female pastors as I grew up, and then all of a sudden I'm in this phase where I'm saying women shouldn't be ordained, and I'm looking at and talking about women differently, and even myself, I'm regarding myself differently. I'm not even my own giftings and things like that. I'm playing down a bit because of how I was reading Scripture and what I thought Scripture said about me and about women. And that is the biggest place of tension with, um, you know, with my family. And they were really loving and kind of <laughs> maybe rolled a few eyes at times, but just kind of rolled with it. And um, I'm grateful that, for the way they just endured that. If you're just joining us, we're speaking today with Jennifer Grace Bird. She's the author of Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands. It was published recently by Westminster John Knox Press. You're listening to Things Not Seen, conversations about culture and faith. And from that place where you you were confident in the clear answers <laughs> and, and confident enough to sort of challenge your mother on that five-hour car ride, uh, it, it sounds from from the book and also just from hearing you describe it uh, in in looking backwards that you are no longer in that place. And I wonder if you could just quickly tell us kind of where you have moved to and maybe some of the highlights along that journey. Sure. I think the the, the piece that is most well, most significant for me is I had someone show me there was more than one way at times to read certain biblical passages. And so I had someone who was an important role model in my life use me as an example, actually, in her master's thesis. She did the thesis on the story of Mary and Martha. And ultimately, ultimately, she, she discussed that story, and she looked at what Jesus says at the end. Instead of the way many people often interpret that story, the, that line at the end where Jesus says, um, she has chosen what is better, talking about Mary choosing to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him. This woman in this paper said that she has chosen is better, implying that Mary chose what she wanted and Martha was being was giving in to what was expected of her. And in the paper, the woman said that I was an example of someone doing that. And so this, was, this coincides with the, that phase of me talking to my mom, my mom's ordination. So I get this paper in the mail that says this, that there's a potentially there's a different way of interpreting words that are put in Jesus' own mouth, and it couldn't get more personal for me at that point in time. That's the most important element of the scripture for me at that point was anything Jesus had said. So that just kind of shook my world, and that led me down this, kind of led me into this direction of thinking about what the Bible says, what's found in the Bible, and then the languages of the Bible. And so I ended up going to seminary eventually, a few years after that. And I went because I wanted to study Greek and Hebrew, biblical Greek and Hebrew. I wanted to be able to read the scriptures for myself instead of having someone else tell me what it says. I wanted to at least be able to have my own opinion in the conversation. And that is what, so the pursuit of understanding really is what got me to where I am now. And every step along the way felt scary at times because I would, something would open up, 
some some element of my understanding of what the Bible is was shifted or changed, opened something. It wasn't always, it's it's not a negative thing, but it was a scary thing. I even had people telling me before I went to seminary, they were afraid I would go to seminary and think my way out of my faith. And I understood what they meant by that. I understood that they were afraid that I would start to see specifically the Bible and maybe theological ideas differently. And that meant, therefore, in their mind, in my mind at the time, that meant, therefore, I would lose my faith. What I have found is that it has given me more freedom. I have felt more free in seeing the Bible differently. I think my faith is very different than it was when I went off to seminary. The bigger conversation about where I am now um, is one that perhaps you and I could visit another time. But for now, where I would like to leave it, at least, is where I am now is I am so much more comfortable and um, happy <laughs> with my faith now. Um, you know, the, my when when my faith was hanging on what is in the Bible, it almost elevated the Bible to the level of God, as as opposed to pointing us to God. And I think there's a big difference there. And I know a lot of people who unconsciously, I think, hold the Bible on that on that level of being equal to God. And so thinking about the words that are in the stories, thinking about it for yourself, all of these kinds of ideas are scary if you think that the Bible can't be challenged or looked at differently. And I used to be in that place where it was scary to challenge it. And now I think, goodness, if you're going to turn to the Bible <laughs> for direction and guidance in life, I hope you can have a conversation with it. I hope you can challenge it. Um, and ultimately, it isn't God, right? It should point if if it is your guidepost in life, it is pointing you to God, and and I think that's a really, if it's possible to do that in one book, I don't think it is, <laughs> but I think that's what I'm hoping for for other people. I suppose is um, that there may be a shift along those lines for folks. Well, thank you for taking a moment and talking about your your personal journey of faith, and I. I uh, I want to sort of use that as a stepping stone to a question, and I'm it's a question I'm not exactly sure how to ask. So let me try it try it this way, and then we'll see if it if it lands. Okay. So you you've chosen to write the book in a very inviting, personal, conversational way. Yes. And and when I open the book, in the first couple of pages, there are the standard blurbs that come, and and so for example, Fernando Segovia is saying Jennifer Bird is one of those professional readers of the Bible and they are few and far between. And and Stephen Moore on the next page is saying, you know, this is not the only book of its kind, but to my mind it's one of the best of its kind. This is high praise, but it's high praise for a certain type of academic rigor. And I'm I'm interested just as an author, as a person putting this project together, how did you find the balance between that personal inviting voice and the level that these esteemed scholars of biblical literature would say such praising things to you. Well, thank you, David. Uh, that's, on some really basic level, um, a really genuine affirmation of what I'm doing, and I appreciate that. The, I'm not, I'm, to be honest, I'm not sure how to answer your question. What I can say is that I desperately, I desperately want the things that I know about the Bible and the things that others who do go to seminary and PhD work, the things that people learn when they have the, the, the freedom and the space to think and read and learn, I desperately want others to have access to that information. And I also know that for any person, education is a process, all of those things, but on some level, it just seemed like this is what I, I have to do. I, I need to do this. I want to do this. I need to make these ideas that are, as you said, uh, do come from an academic, a highly academic atmosphere and study. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what else to say except I needed to do it. It needs to happen. It's kind of one of those, if we have this understanding, why aren't we sharing it. It needs to be shared. I'm not 
giving you a very eloquent answer right now. Let me ask in a, in a slightly different way. So okay. if, if you could take me back to that moment when you're looking at the blank page or the blank computer screen, when, when the book is still sort of ahead of you as a project to be done. Okay. You made a particular choice. You said, I'm going to write this in a particular, in a particular voice, in a particular fashion. And I'm, I, as, a, as a person who struggles with these kind of balances also, you know, how, yeah. how, how do you find the right way to bring the, the audience that you want into the conversation? Okay. I'm really curious about just what was going through your mind at that I moment. See. Yeah, I can, okay, I can address that perhaps a little bit more clearly. Honestly, I thought about who I am as a teacher in the classroom. And I thought about, okay, if we're going to approach this particular topic, who, what are the ways that for those people of great faith and for whom the Bible is not just the Word of God, it's practically God, for those folks, what is, what's going to be their resistance? What's, what's their concern when we raise this conversation, when we go there? What can I name up front that will help, at least on some level, help alleviate some of the concern and make, it, make this conversation a little bit more possible? And so I draw on very specifically the time that I, that I had as a much more conservative evangelical to, in order to write this book. And so in a sense, I'm, ultimately I'm writing for the Jen Bird of her 20s. And any other pe- and any other person who can identify with that, I know that in this short book, that audience perhaps be quite resistant to what I'm having to say. But that's how I did it. I approached it by saying, "Okay, all right. What are the places where people get scared? What kinds of walls do people send up that keep them from hearing this first? And so, so that's why it is very conversational. Is trying to name those things up front and perhaps." that takes some of the scariness out of the conversation. And then from there, genuinely, after having this conversation so many times with so many different people, um, I think it does show, to be honest, I think it shows um, an important level of understanding to be able to take a a lofty academic idea and make it accessible, right? And I think that's what you and I are up to in general. And so it took time, it took trial and error in the classroom, and... So I get to draw on that trial and error in writing this book. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're speaking today with Jennifer Grace Bird. She's the author of the recent book from Westminster John Knox Press, Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands. If you'd like to find out more about Jennifer Grace Bird or her new book, you can go to our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Things Not Seen Radio. I'm David Dalt. We'll be back in a moment. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we offer a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with Jennifer Grace Bird, author of the new book, Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands, published recently by Westminster John Knox Press. Before the break, we were discussing the decision she made as an author about how best to speak to her audience. It took time, it took trial and error in the classroom, and so I got to draw on that trial and error in writing this book. Does that answer your question? Perhaps? Yes, it absolutely does. And I, I love I love the phrase that you used a moment ago where you said that you were writing this book to to you in your 20s. And I, that actually starts to speak to a, the next question that I wanted to ask was sort of who you were imagining to be on the other side of this book, the other side of this conversation. And you've already begun to, to sort of talk about that. And yeah. so let, let's build let's build on that. And and so you, you imagined that there was someone who maybe you had some empathy with, the you in your 20s. But, Absolutely. But someone who would be hostile perhaps to the positions that you that you perhaps currently hold. Yes. And so you intended, if I'm hearing you correctly, to enter into what is in some ways a, a very fractious, a very heated conversation. Am I hearing that correctly? Absolutely. And I, that, yes, you're spot on. <laughs> well, was that, have... was that scary was to, to think that you're, you're inviting the haters? <laughs> um, a little bit, just to be honest. A little bit, yes. But I also think that it needs to be said, and in many ways, perhaps that's, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with what 
what comes because of what I've said. I do know that perhaps the more progressive Christian community will perhaps find this appealing and it will be an easy, you know, welcome. Um, I hope that people that are like who I was in my early 20s will also read it. That genuinely is who I thought of as I wrote, thinking if I could on any level plant, reach someone there and offer something, a new perspective for them, for that person. Yes, that is who I wrote for. And yes, it's a little scary. <laughs> well, and if, if, I'm, if I can reflect on your own story, it, it sounds as if, if I'm hearing you correctly, one of your hopes for this is that this book would be kind of like that, that portion of the chapter from the master's thesis that your friend shared with you, where you were sort of named specifically. It, it sounds like you're trying to, at each point in the, in the chapters as I read them, it, it seemed like you were trying to say, listen, I understand that this is where you are, and I'm not going to condemn where you are. But I also want you to know that there are more ways to be and more positions to hold about the Bible than just where you are. And I, I heard that very clearly in what you were writing. I'm so pleased to hear that. Thank you, David. Yes, that is absolutely. Well, it's it's a gesture of generosity and hospitality to the reader. And I'm I'm almost not wanting to ask this next question, but have you encountered as a response to that generosity and hospitality, hostility, either in the classroom or in these conversations in churches or as you've begun talking about the book, have you gotten pushback? And what has that looked like? When I talk about, yes, <laughs> short answer is yes. I have experienced hostility. I've experienced pushback. Interestingly enough, even in progressive Christian churches, I have experienced pushback because as you know from reading it, but there are some elements of church doctrine that are perhaps also questioned if you read the Bible differently than you've been taught to read it. And I realize that opens up a whole other can of worms. But I have very loving, well-intentioned people being really uncomfortable that I was pushing them on, I was pushing the way women are depicted in the Bible and asking them to think about that. And that, no matter who we are, what we have always thought, when that is pushed or challenged, that's just uncomfortable. So, yes, I've had pushback. I've had, I've actually had ministers redirect what I was teaching because they weren't comfortable with what I was saying. I'm not sure if I'm making sense. Well, what, what do you mean by redirect? When you say ministers have redirected what you've been teaching, you mean in, in mid-sentence they yes, correct you? Yes, in mid-teach. In, mid in the midst of my teaching, they, will just, they have redirected, they have challenged, um, kind of redirected the whole conversation away from me just asking people to think about what is in the Bible, and they've redirected to, but what about this aspect of love? You know, and I'm like, okay, I don't disagree with you about love. <laughs> I just don't think that's what's happening in this story, and I want you to think about this story. When you teach um, an academic or, an, um, yeah, an academic approach to the Bible, no matter what part of the country, there is pushback, absolutely. I think it was often much more hostile, perhaps, than it, when I was in Greensboro, which we could talk about the ridiculousness of saying what people think of when you talk about the Bible Belt. But sure, there are more people in the South that are much more attached to, or their faith is much more open and out in the open, and so so forth. So yes, lots of pushback on various levels. In terms of hostility, I think usually when it, in a classroom, students would just shut down instead of being hostile to me. Their way of being hostile is to just not hear a single thing I'm going to say. But um, all kinds of understandable, that's the thing I guess I should point out. It's quite understandable to have people resisting or reacting in some sort of way to someone saying, why don't you think about this differently? Um, I was hostile to it when someone first started showing me some of these things, so I, I get that. But um, I also think that is part of what I'm good at doing, and so I need to be doing that. If you're just joining us, we are speaking today to Jennifer Grace Bird. She's the author of Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands, published this month from Westminster John Knox Press. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We'll be back in a moment. If you're listening to the show for the first time and you like what you hear, we have over 50 shows archived on our website, thingsnotseenradio.com, and they're all free and available for download. 
And if you want to carry them along with you, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Search for Things Not Seen Podcast in the iTunes Store. And while you're there, we'd love it if you took a moment to write a review and give us a rating. That's actually unbelievably helpful to us in getting the word out about the show. If you're on Twitter, take a moment and follow us at Not Seen Radio. If you want to keep up with me and the silly things that I tweet about, you can do that by following at Dalt Radio. And one more plug. If you haven't discovered our daily Religion Moments podcast yet, you're truly missing out on a treasure. Each and every day, our senior producer, Katie Scroggin, finds some highlight from religious history and turns it into this incredible, informative little two-minute gem. Seriously, they're brilliant, they're free, and they happen every day. You should be listening. And even better, we have all of them archived on our website. So if you're just now starting to listen to Religion Moments, you've not missed out on a thing. You can go back and explore all the catalog just like you were traveling back in time. And thank you, as always, for listening. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. We're speaking today with Jennifer Grace Bird, author of Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands, published recently by Westminster John Knox Press. So early on in chapter one, you have a sidebar, and then you refer to it in later chapters as well, uh, the sidebar about the separation of church and state. Oh, goodness. And yeah. you, 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 make a, you make a statement in there that I just want to explore for a moment because sort of a, a line that is in there is, you know, when we read the Bible, there's always going to be, and I'm just paraphrasing now, but there's always going to be a political aspect to how we read the Bible. And that made me very curious kind of how you see the proper balance of this notion of, of the Bible as something that we just have to lead our internal spiritual life or the Bible that should be in some ways read as a political document. And how do you strike that balance? question. Thank you. One of the things for me um, was that I did, just as you phrased it, this in, I saw the Bible as intended to be informing our spiritual, our internal spiritual lives, or our personal devotion to God or to Christ, and I saw it that way. And I think I was taught on some level in various places to see it that way and to only focus on the spiritual element or the spiritual message, if you will. And one of the things that I think for the better, for personally, one of the things that was so helpful for me, but was also quite shocking initially, was to see that the the stories, and we could talk about both the Newer Testament and the Hebrew Bible. I mean, that the stories themselves, the people, the situations being addressed, they're being written in in response to political issues. I think on some level we could have a very long conversation about this, but so to kind of cut it short, right? Um, if you wanted to talk about the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, that their formation as a people was a political issue. It was very specifically t- connected to them and their theological, their identity as the followers of Yahweh, right? Um, perhaps more shockingly for me was looking at the Newer Testament, looking at the Gospels, looking at the things that Jesus is reported to have said. And all of these stories, I always took the message as a spiritual message or metaphor. And it often makes a lot more sense even, when you think of it in the context of people's daily lives, he's addressing economic and political realities. He's not trying to talk about your soul or your spirit, specifically. Um, I feel like that wasn't necessarily the most co- most concise response to your question. That's okay. I think, you know, I think that we're often taught to read the stories without the politics, so an apolitical, in order to spiritualize them. And we lose a lot of the bite or a lot of the kind of what the story or the interaction was perhaps initially about when we try to only spiritualize. We lose the real-life banter, the real-life situation that these stories are trying to address. So at the end of the book, in the conclusion, you talk about when you come to difficult passages of the Bible, you read those difficult passages through the lens of who you know God to be 
and you mm-hmm. use this as a litmus test for the Scripture itself. Now, there are going to be certain listeners and certain Christians for whom that's going to sound like a very alien way to read the Bible because the, the, the sort of hardcore doctrine of sola scriptura would say, no, you never read the Bible with a lens that is internal to you. You judge your internals by the lens that is the Bible. And I'm just <laughs> wondering about this tension because you you really are, are, are laying the cards on the table at that point. And, and so if I'm hearing that passage correctly, um, you believe that 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 the Bible is something that can have a vast number of interpretations based upon how you conceive God to be. First of all, have I have I understood that correctly? Yeah, I think you've understood that correctly. I think I, I laughed at your comment, which I agree with, that people are taught to judge their internals by what they see in the Bible. But there are so many passages in the Bible that we. I think we ought to be able to say this is there's this is not okay. This is not okay that this story went down the way it did and that nobody is criticizing it. It is not okay that we're seeing X Y and Z person in the Bible being angry like this and it is not there's no corrective for it. It is not okay that women are taught certain things and certain ways to behave. End of story. I don't think that's okay. And if all I can do is read what's on the page and be informed by it, then I will continue to perpetuate some of the unfortunate elements of what ends up in the Bible due to the time and the location in which it was written. I do believe that people want good for themselves and for each other. And I do believe that when people read the Bible, they have all of the best intentions. I really do in mind. But I think that just reading it will not allow us to get there. I think we need to be able to say, okay, who is it I believe God to be? And I do think that you and I even perhaps see God differently, and therefore I I know that people in the congregation are going to think of God differently. And and I think that's okay. <laughs> but I also know that if I believe that God is about love and about our empowerment and our betterment, right, about full life, then I'm going to look for that when I read. And so even the idea of the litmus test, which I do, which I actually use throughout the book, I just don't name it until the end, right? I, I'm, you know, it's kind of a little tricky, but it's also it's also intent, very intentional because I think it's helpful to just have the conversation first and then say, okay, let me show you what I've been doing this whole time, and now you can actually think about that for yourself differently as well. What is your own litmus test? But I think that if you have in mind and believe in your soul, in your gut, in your whatever, whoever you are, your inner being that that is what God is about, then, then when you read the Bible, you'll, that, those moments will be important. Those moments will come to life for you. And that, that holding that idea that God is love and God is about whole life and wellness and wholeness, then that helps when you come across a passage that isn't about that. It helps you to say, huh, what's going on here in this passage? Is this really of God? You know, does this lead to what I believe God is and who God is? And I think I, I have found that to be helpful. As, you, as you're moving forward from this project, and now you've had a chance to sort of put your position into print and, and begin a wider conversation that clearly you've been having for years in the classroom and in churches, what, what continues to frustrate you? Oh, my how much more time do we have? Oh, gosh, David, if I could try to put that into a nugget, what does continue to frustrate me? I'm afraid it will just, my answer is too much, you okay. know. What continues to give you hope? Oh, goodness. I guess what gives me hope is that I know what being informed did for me. And it was people planting seeds and pushing here, nudging there. And it was a process for me. And so as an educator, that's what gives me hope, is that we are all works in progress. I think that's what gives me hope. 
Well, Jennifer Grace Bird, I have very much enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very, very much for talking to me today. Thank you, David. I've thoroughly enjoyed it as well. It's been a pleasure. We've been speaking today to the author, educator, and conference speaker, Jennifer Grace Bird. Her most recent book is Permission Granted, Take the Bible into Your Own Hands, published recently by Westminster John Knox Press. If you'd like to find out more about the book or about our guest, Jennifer Grace Bird, you can do so by visiting our website, thingsnotseenradio.com. Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC, with the support of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. Today's show was recorded at WBEZ's Navy Pier Studios overlooking beautiful Lake Michigan. WBEZ is not responsible for the content of this program. Additional production for this week took place at the studios of the Chicago Sunday Evening Club here in the Chicago Loop. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keija. Mary Gaffney engineered the show. Kim Tron and David Dalt did the editing. Our staff includes Travis Abels, David J. Dunn, Natasha Alford, and Alexander Badenoff. Katie Scroggin is our senior producer. You can follow us on Twitter at Not Seen Radio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about upcoming guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to over 50 old shows, send us an email, and hear extra audio from our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalton. and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us.